If you've ever wondered what the deal is with the whole cryptocurrency thing, you may have attempted to look into it, only to be bombarded with phrases like hash rate and blockchain and tokenization. These phrases, considered esoteric jargon by those unfamiliar with the topic, can make the confusing world of blockchain seem incomprehensible. Fortunately, that's where we come in. I'm Matt Rabel, Associate Editor at John Lothian News. Today we're going to talk about Crypto 101, a beginner's primer to the nuanced world of digital assets. Cryptocurrency is actually a broad term. Currently, it is used to describe digital assets and currencies that are not issued by governments but can be exchanged for goods and services, or even regular cash. Cryptocurrency was a concept first envisioned in 1982 by a computer science professor at the University of California, Santa Barbara, named David Chaum. Chaum published a paper called Blind Signatures for Untraceable Payments, in which he talked about the concept of something called blind signatures. Essentially, using a blind signature is like using carbon paper to sign your name on an official document. If you sign your name on the top form, an exact copy of that signature is indented onto the other copies. Chalm said that this principle could theoretically be applied to payment systems in order to make them more auditable. In 1990, he took this idea further, combining the idea for blind signatures with cryptography, the art of writing and deciphering passwords and codes. The result was eCash the world's first attempt at digital currency. Chalm started a company called DigiCash to promote and develop this new technology. Unfortunately for him, in 1998, DigiCash went out of business because the company couldn't convince enough people to adopt it as a payment option over credit cards. Let's skip ahead a bit. Although DigiCash didn't last, its attempts to create an anonymous, cryptographically secure digital payment system became the first of many. The same year DigiCash went out of business, a software engineer by the name of Wei Dai published an essay describing B-Money, a theoretical type of currency that was totally digital and could exist outside of the traditional financial system. Notable cryptography and economics essayist Nick Zabo published a paper in 2005 entitled BitGold, in which he described a payment system that adopted a proof-of-work function, which is a concept for verifying information that would later become crucial for the development of Bitcoin. BitGold was influenced by many existing concepts at the time, including Chalm's e-money and Dai's b-money. Then, in 2008, a user named Satoshi Nakamoto posted a message on an email group called the Cryptography Mailing List. The title of the message was Bitcoin P2P eCash Paper. The message began with this phrase, I've been working on a new electronic cash system that's fully peer-to-peer, -peer, with no trusted third party. This was the beginning of Bitcoin, the world's first successful cryptocurrency. Nakamoto began working with a small team of trusted programmers, including Gavin Anderson, to develop Bitcoin. The team largely worked over the internet, messaging each other via digital mailing lists. In all that time, Nakamoto revealed almost nothing about their identity or personal life. The one exception to this was his supposed birth date, though some believe the date Nakamoto gave, April 5, 1975, was actually a red herring. 
To date, few claim to be confident in knowing what Satoshi Nakamoto's nationality or gender is, or if Nakamoto is even one person, or a persona used by several people. Though some who claim to know the real Nakamoto, like Gavin Anderson, frequently refer to Nakamoto as he. Finally, in 2009, the team finished their project. On January 3rd, Nakamoto released Bitcoin's first software client, as well as the first mined Bitcoins. The same day, the first ever component of the first ever blockchain was created. Nine days later, the first ever Bitcoin transaction was executed between Satoshi Nakamoto and Hal Finney, one of Bitcoin's original core programmers. To test the new protocol, Nakamoto sent Finney 10 Bitcoins. In the first month of the year 2009, Nakamoto and his team created and successfully tested the world's first digital, decentralized monetary system. So, why is that a big deal? Is it a big deal? Short answer, yes. Yes, it is. Bitcoin and most other cryptocurrencies use a decentralized digital system within a massive shared network called a blockchain to manage, archive, and execute transactions between different users. It is an innovation that was designed to carry out the same function that centralized financial institutions like banks have conducted for hundreds of years, but in a new, different way. What makes the Bitcoin blockchain different from any other type of ledger that has ever existed is the fact that it's totally decentralized. That means that instead of one person or one computer holding on to a master copy of a record, that record is held in conjunction with every computer in a worldwide computer network. This includes a detailed log of any changes that have been made to that record, along with the time, date, and digital identifier of the user who proposed the change. By design, it is technically impossible to make a change to the blockchain without leaving some kind of trace. So if a person wanted to, say, forge a transaction in the ledger, whether it's done in order to steal bitcoins, commit fraud, or alter information for some other nefarious purpose, there's a built-in record of it taking place on the blockchain. And before it's even possible to make that transaction in the first place, the computers within a blockchain network have to verify that the change is legitimate using cryptographic hash functions, which is every bit as mind-bogglingly technical and complicated as it sounds. Still, this makes it very hard to make fraudulent entries on a blockchain. Because anytime you try to change the blockchain's records, that change has to be vetted by the entire network, then recorded in a totally transparent, public way. So although Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies like it are not things you can physically hold in your hand, they exist in cyberspace on a ledger that is both visible at all times and extremely difficult to forge. On top of that, crypto transactions on the blockchain are more or less anonymous. Remember that anybody who tries to record a transaction on the blockchain leaves a copy of their digital identifier. These are more or less randomly generated alphanumeric codes, which, while they can be used to trace how many bitcoins somebody owns or how many they gave away, are not inherently connected to any personal information. This makes it easy to make transactions which, despite their being recorded on a transparent ledger, appear at first glance to be a series of nonsensical letters and numbers to the untrained eye. When you add all of this up, you're left with a payment system that can exist, functionally, outside of the traditional financial systems of the world. 
It can also function as a discrete, secure medium of exchange outside of government control, making it a highly useful, if legally precarious, payment system for transacting across borders. For example, let's say somebody in London wanted to send somebody in Mumbai 10,000 pounds sterling electronically. Usually the financial services body required to make such a transaction would charge a significant fee and the transaction would take days, weeks, even months to execute, depending on a variety of factors. Then there's the issue of converting the money from one currency to another. In this case, British pounds to Indian rupees. This transaction costs additional fees. The whole process is expensive, time-consuming, and requires the people involved to trust and pay a myriad of middlemen that they will never meet. That is, unless they were to use something like Bitcoin as a medium of exchange. In fact, it is theoretically cheaper for the Londoner to buy an equivalent amount of Bitcoin to the amount of pounds that he wants to send, transfer the Bitcoins to the Indian user, and have the Indian user liquidate those Bitcoins into their preferred currency. This practice has worked well for a great many people of differing backgrounds. Unfortunately, that includes criminals. According to a study by Newcastle University, malware attacks have increased since the dawn of Bitcoin. In December of 2017, the University of Sydney released a study called Sex, Drugs and Bitcoin, which found that although the majority of all Bitcoin-related activity up to that point was likely harmless, a significant percentage was demonstrably tied to criminal activity in some way. The study claimed Bitcoin had become the PayPal of the black market, facilitating illegal pornography, weapons, and even assassination contracts. These transactions took place mostly over what is called the dark web, or darknet, a type of specialized peer-to-peer -peer internet. Obviously, the term dark web doesn't evoke pleasant images. There's a reason for the ominous moniker. For starters, it can't be accessed by basic web browsers like Safari or Internet Explorer. In fact, it can't be found using search engines like Google at all. A user has to be invited to join the dark web by a user who is already initiated into the environment. This makes it hard to monitor the comings and goings of dark web users. In other words, it's the perfect domain for criminals and pirates. Until 2013, the most popular dark web marketplace was called Silk Road. Think of it as the dark web's version of Amazon, only instead of Kindles and books, you buy contraband from crooks. The Silk Road was run by Ross William Ulbricht, who was able to operate the Silk Road Darknet marketplace in secret so successfully he often worked off the public Wi-Fi in his local library science fiction section. Oh, and he called himself the Dread Pirate Roberts, though he didn't have his own brute squad with Fezzik and Inigo Montoya, which might have come in handy when the FBI finally tracked him down in 2013, arresting him in the Glen Park Public Library in San Francisco, California. Many believe that crypto would remain as it was in 2013, a tool primarily for cyber criminals and crypto anarchists that would not see significant mainstream adoption. In 2017, just before Christmas, those people were proven wrong. Before we continue, for context, in the crypto industry, there is a practice called an initial coin offering, or ICO. Similar to an initial public offering, or IPO, initial coin offerings are pre-launch funding strategies for new cryptocurrencies, in which the company that owns the product distributes them to the public for the first time. 
in exchange for other cryptocurrencies or fiat currency. In 2017, ICOs sprouted up with greater frequency than ever. In mid-December of that year, two of the largest derivatives exchanges in the US began offering Bitcoin futures contracts. This was the first time a major exchange had offered such services for digital assets. The Chicago Board Options Exchange, or SIBO, was first. Launching on December 10th, SIBO's final futures settlement price used auction price data from Gemini, the New York-based digital assets exchange created by Cameron and Tyler Winklevoss. Eight days later, the CME Group, another Chicago-based futures exchange, launched its own Bitcoin futures contract, which settles to its own index of Bitcoin prices. When the contracts were launched, Bitcoin prices had been rising at a seemingly exponential rate since around April of that year. The same day SIBO launched its new Bitcoin futures products, the price of Bitcoin spiked. On December 18th, when CME Bitcoin futures launched, Bitcoin prices reached their all-time high of over $19,500 per Bitcoin. With it, alternative cryptocurrencies skyrocketed as well. Some say this was the beginning of what would become the 2018 Cryptomania, a year chock full of ICOs, new institutional-grade trading products, scandals, hard forks, hash wars, and other major events that forever changed the shape and substance of the crypto industry. Since then, the price of Bitcoin has decreased substantially. The volatility of Bitcoin was extreme in 2017. Since then, the crypto markets fizzled so that for a while, during 2018, the price of Apple stock was more volatile than the price of Bitcoin. In 2017 and 2018, many new ICOs were launched. Since then, over 90% of them have failed. Despite this, the market has come a long way, especially since the Bitcoin boom of 2017. Although regulatory bodies have not yet determined a way to safely and fairly regulate them within existing frameworks, growing interest in the space has continued to drive lawmakers in the US, Japan, and other nations to continue trying to find ways to balance freedom for the sake of innovation with effective public protection. In addition to that, the crypto markets have continued to develop in the year 2019, although much of Bitcoin's previous momentum has been lost. In the first month of the year, following the crash of the crypto markets, Gemini launched a new ad campaign in New York, promoting the adoption and regulation of cryptocurrency. The campaign featured slogans like, the revolution needs rules, and crypto without chaos, on subways and taxis, as well as a full-page ad in the New York Times. Later, a company called Bitwage began offering compliant payroll and HR services for US-based companies who wished to pay their employees with Bitcoin or Ether, the popular cryptocurrency of the Ethereum platform. As many hits as the space took in 2018, it continues to push forward. The crypto markets may be down, but they're not out yet. There is still work to be done. For more news, videos, and podcasts like this, head over to johnlothiannews.com.